Well, today's scripture reading is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, as Cool and the Gang once said, celebrate good times. Come on. Woo! It hits a little differently in an, in an empty sanctuary, I'm not going to lie. Mostly empty. Um, and that sort of feels like 2020 in, in a nutshell, that there are so many celebrations that we are sacrificing for the greater good. And, and this is one of those. Um, but in the midst of it being different and disappointing and just naming that and owning that, I know so many people this Thanksgiving is going to be much less um, than what you had hoped for. Um, not being able to see those people you love and, and, and recognizing too that um, you know, we can't take for granted the fact that, you know, yeah, we're giving up this Thanksgiving, but we don't know what those sacrifices also entail for the future. But, but we're willing to do that um, as an act of loving our neighbor. And, and, and that's hard. And um, we're willing to give up this big group celebration of this project in order to live out our values of caring for people in the name of Jesus Christ who are vulnerable. But just because celebration looks different doesn't mean that we still don't celebrate. Just like because Thanksgiving looks different doesn't mean that we still don't give thanks. And so today we are going to celebrate the fact that we did something that hasn't been done in 67 years, the biggest building project at this church since then, since the education wing. If you were here in, in, in the service, I'd be pointing over towards where our fellowship area is and the gym. And when the education wing was built in 1953, that's the last time that a project of this scope and this scale took place here. That's incredible. Now, to understand what this means for our congregation, for our, our, our ministry, for our witness, for our faith, I can think of no better place to turn than this passage. And here, when I, when I talk about Mark uh, chapter 2, I need to give full credit to Katie Sherman Strand. Um, in her testimony, she talked about how she saw our congregation being like the stretcher bearers in this passage. And we'll watch her testimony um, just after my sermon is over. And when she said that, the Holy Spirit just said, yep, that's it. That's the passage that we need to reflect on as a congregation about what this means for us. Because I see our congregation in this passage too, 
I see the whole Elevate campaign in this passage, what it's all about. And, and so I want us to do is, is look here and look at the lessons that we can learn from this passage about what God has called us to be like, how he's called us to be those stretcher bearers, how we have been, been those stretcher bearers. So to just set the, the scene for this passage, it's very early on in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Jesus has just started his ministry, and, and so he's been teaching with great authority. We know that. He, he, he's, he's been healing people with infirmities. He's been casting out people who have unclean spirits, and, 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 and he's been doing so traveling along a kind of a peripatetic wandering ministry in the Galilee region. And so Jesus has, has built up quite a buzz. Uh, people are interested in what he's doing because no one's ever seen anyone or heard anyone like this before. So he's got a crowd, and then, and then people learn that Jesus is going home. And actually, this could be his house, could be someone else's house, we don't know. But word gets that Jesus has kind of come to town, to Capernaum, to settle down, and the crowd just flocks to his house. And you can imagine how this would be if you've ever been to a concert or a festival and you've been at the main stage when the headliner is there. You know what this kind of crowding is like, this kind of anticipation, this kind of buzz, this kind of energy. Uh, I've been to a few concerts like that in my life. Probably the most charged uh, was in, in the year 2001. I went to visit my friend Cameron who was going to school in Milwaukee and we went to this venue called the Eagles Ballroom, which I guess is like their version of First Avenue. And we went to go see Out cast uh, perform. And um, this was at the height of their powers, you know, the height of their popularity. And so Cameron and I went to the show and we fought our way to almost the front of the stage because everyone just could feel the energy. They wanted to be near Andre 3000 and Big Boy, these talented, iconic individuals just to get as close as you could to them. And I think that same kind of energy, that's the best analogy we have in our culture to what people were doing in front of Jesus' house that day. They just wanted to get close to this person. And so these four men, they hear Jesus has come to town. And their friend is paralyzed. And they believe in their heart of hearts that Jesus is someone who can do something about it. And so their actions are motivated first and foremost by their faith in Jesus' prominence, his preeminence, and his power. They're going to do whatever they can to get their friend to him, remove every obstacle, overcome every barrier or boundary. And I, I believe the Elevate campaign, it starts from those same first principles, those same core basic motivations. It starts with our faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus can do, that he is Lord of all, that he alone can give us what we truly need, the forgiveness we need, the healing we need, the wholeness we need. And that message, that gospel, that good news about the kingdom of God coming near in him, it's not just for us, it's for everyone. And it's not just for people who can climb stairs. It's for everyone. Everyone deserves the opportunity to hear the good news about him. Everyone deserves to be able to encounter his life-transforming power, to hear his life-changing word. Because he is the only savior, the only one who can heal us, who can save us, who can rescue us, who can liberate us to be as God intends us to be. There's no other name, no other person, no other savior we can go to. He is it. And so the Elevate campaign is starts from that conviction that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And so we will do whatever it takes to bring people to him. The Elevate campaign is rooted in that conviction, and it's for that reason we can do what these stretcher bearers did. They overcame the objections. 
They surmounted the obstacles, and they put themselves out there. And I think we did the same thing. Now, first, overcoming objections. Think of the objections that these men must have heard. It's too crowded. There's no way in. There's no way we're going to get to them. It's undignified to be doing this. It's embarrassing to be doing this. It's disruptive. It's rude. It's a nuisance. It's embarrassing. It's going to make him angry. You know, you, you can always come back tomorrow or next week or, or, or next month. There's going to be another time, another opportunity. Think of all the good reasons that they could have heard from themselves or from other people to not do what they did. All of the objections that provided a justification for not doing what they did. And the fact that there was a, those objections are powerful because there's a degree of truth in all of them. But what mattered more than their objections was their objective to get people to Jesus. Now I think of all the objections that, that we heard for not doing this too. And, and I think of these objections not just as one that, that you know, we heard from other people, but that we said ourselves, that I said myself. It's too expensive. Can't afford it. Our congregation is too small. We don't have any rich people here. That's a lot of money, and it's only going to help a small number of people. We'll never get a loan. We'll never get the pledges. Young people, they don't, they're not generous. They don't give money. There's no good place to put the elevator. You know, if we fail, this is going to be demoralizing. Even the objections of the neighbors. It's going to be too noisy and too dusty. All those were objections that we heard. Many of those objections are one that I myself thought. And they all have some degree of plausibility in them. But at the end of the day, in order to move forward like these stretcher bearers, our faith in Jesus had to be stronger than our faith in these objections. Our belief in God's yes at this moment had to be greater than our belief in the power that was inherent in those no's. That we're just out there. Our yes had to be more compelling, more powerful than those no's. But even as they overcame those objections, they still had to surmount some very real obstacles. This was no easy task. Because you can set your mind on doing something. You can overcome the objections that are in your mind, the voices of the naysayers that are outside or inside. You can push all those to the side, but there's still obstacles you have to face and overcome. There's still real things. One of our favorite analogies for the life of faith around here is a marathon for some obvious reasons. I'm a good, pretty good marathon runner. Matt has kind of taken that up as he's seen me um, start running. He's been inspired, so I, I feel good about that. And, uh, but as we, think about, as we think about running marathons, you can overcome the objections, okay? And Bradley Hoffbauer, he works for Team World Vision. He, he's heard all the objections before. You know, I don't have the time. I'm not in good enough shape. Like, I don't have a training plan. All of these things. You can deal with those objections, but then the obstacles come. And the obstacles are you got to start putting one foot in front of the other. You have to actually start doing the things that you're supposed to do. And what do you do when you come to that first barrier? Do you stop or do you go through? And so there was obstacles to the crowd. The crowd was huge. There was no way through them. There was no way through to the front door. And then they got to the house. 
And so they had to climb the stairs up onto the roof. But then they got on the roof, and there was two feet of earth on top of it. So what are they going to do? They had to make a decision at that moment to dig down through. And there was no easy way to do it, no clean way to do it, no non-messy, non-disruptive, non-destructive way to do it. In the face of that final obstacle, they had to make the decision to start digging and to lower their friend through the earth. And so, friends, the same has been true of Elevate. When we overcame the objections, we still had to overcome the obstacles. And there were lots of obstacles out there. And I'm going to say that the biggest obstacle I think we faced in the midst of all of this was this obstacle, this mental obstacle, that other people had tried it before, they'd thought about it before, they'd started planning for it before, but they'd never gone and pulled the trigger. And if they couldn't do it, what's to make us think that we can? Because those were not bad people, those were not dumb people, those were not faithless people. We're no better than they are. And they looked at it and they said, "Uh uh-uh. And they backed away. So that was a huge obstacle. That mentality said that this is one hurdle that just here we, we can never overcome. Then there's that obstacle of raising the money, right? We'd never asked people to do something like this before, not to this degree, not even close. Not even close. But we asked and people answered. There was the obstacle, the reality, guess what? There's no whales in this congregation. Ain't no rich people stepping up. You know, typically in a campaign like this, they say you want two or three people to give what amounts to 50%. We don't have any whales. And so people say, well, you're not going to have that. Well, who, who supported this? Someone asked me the other day, who, paid, who really paid for this? Like, who's the, come on, you know, like we've collected the pleasures, but who's the person who really came in and was actually like, I got this. There is nobody. It's us. We did this. No whales. If you are a whale, we will welcome you to our congregation with open arms. I'm not against whales, but I'm just saying we don't have any whales. And sometimes it felt like, you know, it was like uh, we were, Dave and I were Captain Ahab. We were going and looking for Moby Dick. We were about as successful as they were. It's a long novel. Herman Melville. Anyways, uh, we had the obstacle of closing on this loan, this stupid loan. And, and, and it came down to getting title for the mortgage on this property. And two little words of Minneapolis were a big obstacle. I will not bore you with the details other than to say we had to hire a lawyer to file some paperwork to deal with this, to get it over the line at the 11th hour. That was an obstacle. I always thought this thing is just going to fall apart. And then there was the obstacle of the pandemic. Because we closed on our financing on March 10th. March 10th. You know what happened March 11th? Rudy Gobert tested positive for the coronavirus and the NBA shut down. And Tom Hanks and his wife got the coronavirus down in Australia. And then when that happened, it was clear that the whole world was just going to hell. And I thought, every moment I thought, this is just going to fall apart. But in the face of every single obstacle, we just kept moving forward. Because we believed that if this was God's will, well, guess what? He's going to make a way. And what mattered more than the obstacles we we faced was our objective, right? Bringing people to Jesus. That's what matters most. And here's the last lesson I want us to learn from the stretcher bearers. Right? It's about overcoming objections. It's about surmounting obstacles. But it's also about this. It's just about putting yourself out there. And that's sometimes the hardest 
thing to do is to put yourself out there. Because when you put yourself out there, there's the chance that you can fail. There's the chance that you're going to fall flat on your face. There's a chance that you're going to embarrass yourself. When you ask someone a question, there's a chance that the answer is going to be no. Failure in this was an option for all of us. But those stretcher bearers, they knew the risks, right? When they dug that hole in Jesus's roof, they knew there was a strong chance he was going to be mad at them. And they knew they were going to have to probably pay to fix the hole in that roof. And they knew that people were going to look at them like they were crazy. And they didn't know what would happen when they lowered their friend, if Jesus would do anything for him. But they did what they could. They did the risky thing. They did the audacious thing. They did the hard thing. They put themselves out there for their friend. They subjected themselves to ridicule and censure. They made a hole in a roof. And they said, well, let's just see what happens next. That's one of the great things I've seen as part of Elevate, that time and again, people have just put themselves out there for something bigger than themselves. I think of Dave Carlson, who you know, we all know and love, and we saw in that video there. Dave put himself out there big time. He formed the Elevate Task Force way back in 2017. Again, you know, this was like uh, Don Quixote. He was going to go tilting at windmills again. You know, one more person. This was Lucy with the football saying, no, 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 this time, Dave, guess what? We're really going to let you kick it. But Dave stepped up, and he did it, even though knowing that lots of people had tried before, and zero of them had been successful. Dave put himself out there. Dave put himself out there. They came up with the plan for this, 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 where to put this elevator, and then he went and sat down with me in dozens of living rooms in this congregation asking people to support this. And 99% of them were absolutely amazing and encouraging. But not every single one of them was easy, and we didn't know what to expect. I'll say that the, the leadership team put themselves out there when it was come time. Everyone said, hire a consultant to do this professionally. That was a tough thing to accept. But the leadership team put themselves out there. Derek Reimer, he put himself out there. He headed up this campaign team. He, he built the website. He even built the payment infrastructure for us to collect pledges, pledges. He put himself out there to lead this team. His wife, Tiffany, she put herself out there chasing down those pledges, putting on those kickoff events at Sisyphus that were so great. Katie Howlett. She put herself out there, pouring all of her design expertise, knowledge, and skills to make uh, our Elevate campaign materials so compelling. She put everything she had out there into that. Gus Ochoa, he put himself into that video, right, taking this task on to tell this compelling story of why we're doing this. Kendall Bird, she put herself out there on the social media, building something, a presence that we really didn't have before. Bridget Nelson in the Elevate prayer guide, putting herself out there. My own Amy Berge, putting herself into the design. All of these people putting themselves out there to make this happen. And then there was the congregation, you all, sitting there with those pledge cards, looking at your finances, looking at your budget, thinking about the next three years, what can I do to support this? Y'all put yourselves out there. You put yourselves on the line. And none of us, when we were doing this a year ago, anticipated three, four months down the road the world would be turned upside down, but we did it anyway. And we stuck to it because we believe that even in the midst of the pandemic, the tumult, the, tumult, the turmoil, the uncertainty of the future, we've got to get people to Jesus. We've got to do what we can for him.
and for our friends. And so I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that it's incredible, it's amazing that we were able to pull this off. Right? We did this. We did this for him. And at the end of the day, I pray that the story of Elevate ends the same way as Mark chapter 2, our passage does. And yes, you know, there's the encouraging ending of this, this, this man taking up his mat and, and walking. There's this healing encounter, this life-transforming, you know, power that we see. But I'm talking about the very end of the story where it says this, all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. And so in all of us, I, I pray we would say those same things. I never saw anything like this. I never thought I would see this. I pray that God would be glorified, that we would be amazed what he has done to bring this dream to reality and what he's going to do through it to impact the lives of so many people, people who we don't even know yet. Yes, people we know and love, but also people we don't even know yet, we haven't met yet, and some of them we will never meet. All because we had faith. Faith that there is nothing that should stop us from bringing people to Jesus and that he is worth it. Every dollar that we give, every sacrifice that we make, every awkward conversation that we have, every risk we take, all of that is worth it just to get people to him. And I think that's a good word for us to think about as we contemplate what this campaign has meant in the life of this congregation. It has allowed us, God has allowed us to be stretcher bearers. And I'm so, so grateful for that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.